Uh, let, me, let me go ahead and introduce my family to you. You guys have seen perhaps maybe a video of our family way back when. We first arrived at Hoffmantown probably 2009, and uh, we're privileged to be able to come here when Wayne Barber was pastor, had the opportunity to meet so many of you and your church family. Uh, so excited. At that time, our kids were a whole lot smaller. Um, and so this is our family now. This is my wife, uh, Sarah, and our oldest daughter, Abigail. Uh, James Hudson, she's 17, 16, 15, 14, 11, and 5. I got a text this morning that Evie just lost a tooth, and so I'm looking forward to seeing her, her toothless smile when I get back. Uh, but anyway, this is our family, uh, very, very blessed. When we left for the mission field 13 years ago, we had four kids. Uh, they were age 5, 4, 3, and 2. And of course, we were one of those families when you stepped on the plane, everybody was just you know, grieving that they had to sit by a family with that many small kids for 13 hours on the first leg. And, um, you know, but our kids quickly became world travelers and our seasoned veterans now just zipping through the airports and custom immigration and all sorts of things. And so uh, we're really, really blessed. I wanted to give a brief overview. We shared some of these things. And if uh, you were in some of my other sessions, um, forgive me. But I wanted to run through real quick just a, a history of the Plong. Uh, for 13 years, when, when God called our family to the mission field, uh, we went as the team strategy leaders with the International Mission Board. And it was just an exciting time from, from beginning uh, until even when we left just recently the field. God did, uh, did so much beyond our wildest imagination and, and greatest expectation. Uh, God was faithful. Uh, and he promises, when he gives us that great commission, uh, he gives us a promise, doesn't he? He, he promises us his presence. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And praise the Lord for that, because apart from him, we can do nothing, right? And so that promise uh, gave us great hope, even as we went 13 years ago. Uh, we went to, um, we were called specifically to the Palong people. Um, and, and the Palong people, we had never even heard of before. We didn't even know where they existed. It was an obscure people group that we had read on a piece of paper, a job request that was given to us by the International Mission Board. And through the scripture, we knew that this was the people group that God was calling our family to serve, and uh, wholeheartedly we embraced that call and uh, left the, for the field. Uh, uh, some amazing stories along the way, uh, but I want to get to some of the, uh, the stories of how God has been changing people's lives among the Palong. Um, a brief overview of the Plong. We know that the Plong uh, are 1.1 million people. They're scattered throughout three different countries, uh, southwestern Yunnan province, China, and also Shan State, Myanmar, and then also in northern Thailand. Uh, most recently, probably about 30 years ago, the, the Burmese army um, began infiltrating some of the areas where the Plong lived. A um, lot of conflict, a lot of fighting. Uh, they would burn villages, rape the women, uh, and so the villagers were sent into the jungles, fleeing for their lives, many of which came across the border into northern Thailand. And, and what was meant for evil, God used for good because it provided opportunity and access to the Palong people that we had not had previously. Um, there's a their situation in Myanmar is, is quite unique. Uh, it's, a, it's a paradoxical country. There are things that, are, that occur and things that do not occur, and they don't seem to reconcile with one another. There's great freedom Yet at the same time, there's great restrictions. And what I mean by that is that the government was ruled since 1962 by a military dictatorship. And so the military was in power. Uh, they controlled many of the different areas, putting, setting up roadblocks, controlling especially the areas where the Palong people lived. Uh, it's in that Golden Triangle. How many of you have heard of the Golden Triangle before? Uh, it's an area of about 269,000 square miles 
uh, where Laos, uh, Myanmar, and Thailand exist. It's the second largest producer of opium in the world. And so we know that where there are drugs, there is the potential of making lots of money. As a matter of fact, all along that border of Thailand and Burma, there are drug refineries uh, left and right. And, uh, and so a major thoroughfare uh, that went down, went from the border of Burma and Thailand all the way down to Bangkok where they, where they uh, shipped it out to different countries uh, was, ran, ran right through our town where we lived. And you see the, the ravaging effects of just drugs and, uh, of course, alcohol along with that. But then, uh, then again, coupled on top of that, just the spiritual oppression. Um, they have a, a Buddhist veneer. In other words, they practice the traditional uh, festivals and, and hold to the Buddhist calendar, um, you know, sacrificing to, well, at the same time, sacrificing to the spirits and having this deeply rooted animistic belief where it's a manipulation of power. There's good spirits, there's evil spirits inhabiting all things. And for us to have good crops and good health and good relationships, we need to make sacrifices to appease uh, the good spirits, to appease the bad spirits so that we don't get more of that. Uh, everything they, that is real to them is what, they, is what they see around them, and they equate what happens around them with what is happening in the spiritual world. So spiritual conversations are very easy with the Palong people, uh, and yet we only see less than 1,300 believers. When I got there 13 years ago, there was only known 25 believers to be among the Palong people. There was one other couple, a German couple, who had been working there for 35 years, working on Bible translation, and um, they weren't necessarily focused on church planting, uh, though they were uh, you know, uniquely focused on Bible translation, which then we joined into their labors and were able to utilize during our time the Palong New Testament came out. Uh, we were then at that time able to take the Palong New Testament and record it into an audio format so that we could disperse and disseminate. Very important because of the high illiteracy rate among the Palong people. And two of the main dialects, there's, there's 12 subgroups in the Palong Three main subgroups, the, the Golden, the Silver, and the Rumai Palong, each with their own dialect, each with their own specific dress, and pretty much geographically separated, though there is some overlay in some of the areas. There's a handful of churches and even fewer pastors. Uh, we were able to see one of the first pastors among the Palong be raised up, discipled, and called and ordained to be the pastor of one of the first Palong churches, which was just a, a thrilling, and we're going to talk about his story in a moment. Um, we know that, uh, you know, this is the Golden Triangle here, country of Myanmar. The red area is the Shan State. There's a blown-up picture of this. You see the different blue dots on, uh, on the Shan State of Myanmar. This is 20 specific and strategic areas that we've identified uh, in the Shan State that, that we said if we could plant churches in these areas that it would expand to the other areas as well. These 20 areas were identified by three primary questions. Number one, where is God at work? We just laid out a map and we said, okay, where do we see God working in these different areas? Some was based on what our partners had said to us, our local partners who live in those areas and who are able to travel in the blacklisted areas. Um, they said, listen, God is doing some things in this area. There's a heightened sense of uh, awareness to God and spiritual things in these areas. And so we just laid out a map and said, where is God at work? We began drawing circles on the map. Uh, some of these areas emerged. Uh, then we said, well, where is the greatest density of Palong people? Again, drawing circles on the map. 
And the third question is, where do we have natural entry points? Uh, where do we have access to? And we began drawing those circles on the map again. And you see this convergence of circles. And out of that came these 20 specific and strategic areas where we said, if we could partner together with not only local partners there in the country of Myanmar, but also with stateside partners, churches like Hoffmantown, and, and with us as missionaries and the Plongfield team, then we believe that that, that trichotomy of partnerships uh, will, will be fruitful. And uh, you had the best of both worlds. You have the, you have the West, uh, all the stateside partners and churches over here who felt equally as called to the Palong people, and they had the resources, they had the rich Christian history that they then were responsible to pass along to those who've never heard. But then you had local partners who've been changed and radically transformed by the grace of God, and they had the fluency of speech and the understanding of culture. And then you had the missionaries in the middle and the Palong field team that kind of spread the gap with a foot in this world and a foot in that world. And together... Um, we just said, these 20 strategic areas, if we can have a church and local partners be completely focused on these areas, we knew that uh, when the church comes and volunteers, many of you who have gone on volunteer trips, uh, you know that you're there for 10 days, two weeks, and then you're gone, right? And God does some amazing things within that two-week period of time, but if there's nobody left behind to follow up on the fruit, on the things that God has done, then a lot of it just comes to nothing, um, and so with national partners left behind, the churches can come in and undergird what he is doing and complement what the local partners are doing, and God begins to see some really exciting things happen, which is what we're seeing right now. Uh, access has always been a challenge, and it's been a challenge for uh, many different reasons, uh, geographical reasons. Uh, the Palong live high along the ridges of every mountain in Shan State, uh, Myanmar. And this is just a picture of it. Just beautiful, beautiful country and just unadulterated. I mean, there's, it's just raw forest and jungle land. And uh, in these, in, in on, the, on the tops of the mountains, you just see these villages are, are located. Oftentimes, you just see opium uh, surrounding. It's just a way of life for the villagers, uh, many using many growing and being forced to grow by different uh, conflicting powers in the region, whether it be other ethnic minority groups or whether it be by the Burmese government themselves. It's a lot of conflict areas. It's isolated. They're hard to get to. You really got to be in shape uh, to get to them. And uh, I've had teams go over there and a lot of well-meaning, good-intentioned people who are a little bit overweight and too many Krispy Kremes, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and just they weren't able to make it. You know, I mean, halfway, halfway through, they had to turn back, you know. And so it's, it's very difficult, harsh living conditions. There's no running water, no electricity. Uh, and you think, well, I can, I can rough it out. You, you're there for four or five days, and I can tell you, you feel it, you know. You know you're sleeping on bamboo or concrete, if you're lucky. Um, so not only the physical, geographical uh, challenges, but also the spiritual challenges, Buddhism, animism uh, that we just mentioned. Uh, and we know that when, when we saw Palong people come to faith in Jesus Christ, they experienced intense persecution. If not costing their life, they would definitely be kicked out of their village and ostracized from their family. And for them, that's losing everything. That's losing their future. That's losing their farmland. That's losing everything. And so it's their way of known life. Now, you're talking about a people who, who have to count the cost of discipleship. These are people who have to count the cost for discipleship. There's no easy way out. You either believe and suffer for it. Uh, you know, Christianity without suffering is foreign to them, right? They don't think of Christianity with a life of ease. Uh, that's just not, that's not reconcilable to them in their minds. 
And so uh, a lot of spiritual challenges, uh, a lot of political uh, challenges as well. We know that uh, these are military-controlled areas. Uh, There are a lot of different vying powers for the money. Uh, These areas filled with human trafficking, filled with, again, drugs and money, uh, forced labor and uh, and child slavery um, to some degree, blacklisted areas. And, And when I say blacklisted areas, that just means that foreigners don't have access. We do not have access to those areas. We can't enter into those areas. They have military roadblocks set up all over the place. A lot of fighting, dangerous areas, many, many stories uh, coming from the Palong themselves, having fled Burma, coming into the northern Thailand. Uh, just sad, sad stories. Um, heard one story of just a, a family who had young children, and the Burmese military were very close. They were hiding for their life, um, didn't want their baby to cry, putting the, the hand over the mouth of the baby and literally suffocating the baby so that their, their, their location would not be made known to the Burmese military. These are common stories of people who are fleeing for their lives um, and uh, eating uncooked rice along the way because they didn't have time to stop and, and eat it uh, or boil it. And so very difficult. Cultural, language, and worldview, um, as you can imagine, just linguistically learning a new language. I have some friends here, Todd and Terry, who also served with the IMB going to China, and uh, they know the challenges. It's difficult. And, um, you know, for us, we moved to Thailand, and so we learned Thai, uh, but we also wanted to learn the Palong language, and so we moved up to an area further north uh, of Chiang Mai, Thailand, which Chiang Mai is a relatively easy place to live. Uh, you know, it has modern amenities. It has some Western restaurants, a very easy place to make a transition. We moved further beyond that into a little rural community, uh, a couple hours north of there, about 40 miles away from the border of Burma. And that is where uh, a large population of Palong people lived. We wanted to, to live there. And so we had to learn Thai first to be able, even able to speak to the Palong who have come across the border. And then they also learned Thai as well. So we were both using secondary languages to engage one another until we learned the Palong language. And uh, many blunders along the way. One example, some of you have heard this, you know, that uh, we were just sitting there with a group of Palong men and uh, just desiring to say that, hey, we serve a great God. God, God is big. And, uh, and Thai is a tonal language, and so you have to use inflection. There's high class, uh, high tone, mid tone, low tone, rising tone, falling tone, and every single tone uh, determined the meaning of words. And so I was saying, hey, listen, God is a, a great God. And, and typically you'd say, you got that, right? It goes up and down, right? And, uh, and I didn't say, I said, and instead of saying God was a great God, I said that God was a big woman. <laughs> well, you can imagine. I mean, those guys are just laughing at me, you know. If you ever read the shack, you know, that's a shack theology, you know. I could just add, add another adjective in there, and it would be spot on, you know. But uh, needless to say, cultural, cultural and linguistic challenges abound. So you have geographical, political, spiritual cultural boundaries, and yet in spite of that, God continues and chooses to work and uses those situations really to magnify himself and magnify our weaknesses uh, because it's in our weaknesses that God has made strong. And so uh, we praise the Lord for that. Our hope for the Palong, uh, quite simply put, is Jesus. There's no hands down question, uh, no question about it, uh, is Jesus Christ, right? And so the way and the method by which we communicate Jesus Christ to them is, is of great importance. Taking into consideration all of these different things, all of these different factors, 
uh, linguistically, just creating resources that will actually communicate to the Palong. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the Palong have an oral saying that truth does not come from anything outside of our language. In other words, they don't want to listen to truth being communicated to them if it's not their language. So you come in and you try to communicate truth through a secondary language or a trade language. Uh, they just don't accept it. But if you speak to them in their language, well, they perk up and listen, which gave credibility to the recording that we did. Uh, we took three months recording with 25 speakers, some of which didn't even know how to read and write Palong language. Um, and so they developed a script for the Palong language because they didn't really have a script for the language. So in Thailand, they would use Thai script. In Burma, they would use Burmese script. In China, they would use Pinyin. Uh, and so it was, it was an amazing challenge linguistically uh, to try and get Palong language into a script and format. Uh, and yes, they're doing, um, they're doing uh, literacy programs and trying to teach people uh, how Palong people how to read and write their own language. But the only book they have is the Bible. So, I mean, we, we use the Bible to teach them their own language, which many, especially those who want to pursue education, uh, they, they really enjoy that. But for the majority, uh, we were able to record the, the New Testament and um, put it on a, and you guys have heard of some of the papyrus devices or proclaimers. Uh, it's an MP3 uh, box, basically, that houses the New Testament. Well, we also took small other SD cards that were non-manipulative and put many different resources on their testimonies, uh, creation of Christ, evangelistic account, um, songs, uh, their, their, their local songs and indigenous music, the audio version of the Jesus film, and then also some discipleship tool resources. And so we've given those to our national partners for these 20 different areas, and they took it and, and uh, are attempting to create these listening groups whereby Palong people can come and listen to the truth in their own language and are seeing some wonderful success stories. As a matter of fact, um, I'll tell you a story here in a minute, but uh, Jesus Film, we, we go in with mobile units uh, and, and show Jesus Film in different uh, Palong uh, villages. But, you know, Jesus Christ is the answer, but it's Jesus Christ through you. God chooses to use you as means and as agents of, uh, of his grace uh, dispensed to the Palong people. And we know that from, the, uh, from, from Scripture, we see this over and over and over again, that the paradigm that God uses to proclaim the word among the nations is you and I. Is you and I. Romans chapter 10, right? How can they call upon God un unless they have heard, unless they believed? How they believe if they've never heard? How do they hear if nobody's ever sent to them, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who are sent. And that's you and I. We have that privilege. And it is a wonderful privilege. In spite of all the challenges, in spite of all the difficulties, it is a wonderful privilege to join God in his task to take the gospel to the nations. Uh, the good news is the power of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And he says this, and oftentimes we leave this part out, he says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, which is why the gospel is very offensive to us. Nobody likes to know that we're sinners and that we do things wrong. And our lives in juxtaposition to God's holiness and his righteousness, that's very offensive, right? And he says, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the, the statement that Martin Luther, that one Martin Luther to the Lord, that the just shall live by faith. 
faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to tell you some stories of how the gospel has been impacting uh, just one family, right, where we were locally. Now, there's many different things uh, and ways that God is moving. I said to some of the groups the other day, in two specific ways, areas that we've never had access to before, God is giving us access in unique ways. One is through the fighting. Uh, When they fight, people flee. And when people flee, they go to different locations. Well, these IDPs or internally displaced peoples have shown up at the footstep, at the doorstep of our team in one of the cities in northern Sean State. We currently have five couples and two singles, one couple of which is Imran Carol Goosen, who belong to this church. And so in partnership with you, God is granting us, right, access to the Palong people. Well, 5,000 internally displaced Palong people showed up in Chow May, where three of our couples live. And so now we have immediate access in sharing the gospel with these men and women who will one day probably go back to where their home is, areas that we don't have access to. And another occasion, and you guys might have heard recently that in one town, one Palong town, around which all the Palong villages are, there were over 400 homes, more than 200 of them burned to the ground. Not one person dying which was God's grace in saying, hey, this, you know, God is, is preparing their hearts for a message of hope. And so our team has been able to go to this town and make, manufacture bricks for the rebuilding of their homes at a reduced cost because of partnering churches who financially subsidize those bricks. A wonderful opportunity. And so now every single one of those homes, every single one of those 200 homes we have access to. We are going in and sharing a one-on-one story with every single family uh, whose home has been destroyed. That's God, right? That is God. He's given us those opportunities to proclaim the gospel to these people who've been not only, uh, you know, not only have never heard, but have been inaccessible. And so now we have opportunities. And so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, On the Thailand side, we had the privilege of living among the Palong for seven years. And during that seven years, of course, learning their language, learning their culture, and it was a wonderful time. I can remember the first time that we went into the village, and we had no idea what we needed to do, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 9 and 10 served as an example for us. And I don't know if you've read it, Matthew chapter 9 and 10, but uh, in this passage of Scripture, we know that Jesus looked out on the, on the, on the, uh, the crowds, and it says that he had what? Compassion. He was moved in his inward parts, and, and he, he gave his disciples one thing to do, right? He didn't say, hey, you guys need to go. Nope. He said, you guys need to pray. You guys need to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, he said. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So you can only imagine that the disciples began praying, and then what happens? They're the answer to their own prayer, right? Be careful what you pray, right? Because God may just call you too. And I pray you do it with just joy because it's an ex- one of the most exciting things you could ever do in your life. And so Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and he gave them specific instructions beginning in verse five. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He gave them some tasks, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, 
Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Well, I thought, you know, I'm a novice here. I'm a rookie. I have no idea what to do. So I'm just going to take him at his word and I'm just going to go try to find a person who is open to me in our message, just like he says. And I'm going to stay with that guy until he either kicks me out or, you know, we just part ways. And, uh, and we did that. I went into the village. I can remember the very first time I went in, uh, a guy came up to me and he knew a little bit of English. Uh, we were on the Thai, Thai side. Uh, and so it was open. We could share the gospel. We could go any village we want. Um, and I walked into this village. A guy comes up and he says, hello. You know, of course, that was the only thing he could say. You know, I was like, hey, you speak English. He was like, I don't understand you, you know. I was like, okay, this is not going anywhere. Let's switch to Thai. You know, so we switched to the Thai language, began talking with them. And uh, the guy was a person of peace. He welcomed me and he welcomed what I said. Amazingly enough, and over a period of two months, this man began listening to the gospel. And I shared with him everything I knew. And the guy accepted Christ. His name was Atit. Well, two weeks after that, Atit joined the Royal Thai Army. So never having an opportunity to disciple Atit, I was like, oh, Lord, I've got to go back to ground zero again. The day before Atit left, he brought a friend with him. I was like, hmm. So Atit brings this friend with him. His name was Jam Sang. And Jam Sang was a, a 20-year-old Palong man. And, uh, and I, didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen during that meeting, uh, but Jom Sang, even more than a teat, was a person of peace. Jom Sang had a desire and a hunger for truth. And this just shows you that God, the Holy Spirit, goes before us and prepares the hearts of those who are ready to receive the message of Jesus. And so this, we, we put no confidence in the flesh, Paul says, not my eloquence, not my abilities, not my understanding of culture, not any of that. We depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. It is His business to change lives. All we're doing is we're sniffing out those people and we're sharing the gospel with them and we're letting God do His work. John Sang came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and here's, a, uh, here's a picture of, um, these, this is just a, a composite picture of all the people that we had the joy of seeing come to faith in, uh, in those four years, uh, the last four years that we were there on the field. Listen, we didn't see, I didn't see a person come to faith personally until my seventh year on the field. Seven years. Now, man, that, that can be discouraging. I feel like I'm in good company. Adoniram Jetson, all right, didn't see his first convert until he, was, uh, until he was in his seventh year. And so I felt, well, if AJ can do it, then, you know, I could do it probably too, you know. Um, but anyway, um, Atit was the very first person that we had the privilege of baptizing and, uh, and again, he went, he left uh, for the military, uh, a great man, still keeps in touch. As a matter of fact, uh, he's down in southern Thailand fighting along the border of Malaysia and Thailand, a lot of Muslim Buddhist conflict in that area, really dangerous areas, people dying every day. And so pray for Atit, pray for his safety, pray for his protection, uh, that God would, uh, would keep him safe down there. He still stays in contact via Facebook Messenger of all things, you know. And, uh, and so I'm excited. Well, he brought uh, to me Jom Sang. And of course, Jom Sang, 20-year-old, uh, was so excited uh, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It was a victory for him. Um, and I can remember multiple conversations. On the back of your sheet of paper there, as a matter of fact, um, the young man that said that, that, said that uh, was Jom Sang. And uh, I said, Jom Sang, you know, if you could, if you could um, do anything in the world with your life, what would you do? And, uh, and he responded, listen, now that I have a relationship with God, I would go uh, to every Plong village and share with him this good news of salvation. 
anything in the world, anything in the world you want to do. No, this is the most important thing in the world. And uh, John Sang became just a, an avid, just reader of God's word. He, he grew up in, in Thailand. He was born in Burma, came across the border at a young age. And so he grew up in some of the Thai education systems, very poor education systems for hill tribes. But needless to say, he learned how to read and write. And so it took him very quickly to learn how to read and write Palong using the Thai script, the Thai characters. And, uh, and so we began reading the Palong New Testament uh, together over and over and over again. And, uh, and John Sang just had a voracious appetite for the Word of God. His parents, very upset that he came to faith. And uh, his father, as a matter of fact, was a drunk. And uh, man, one, I mean, he, he was a person who after getting drunk, would just become a different person, obviously, as all of them do. But beating his wife, walking through the village just in his undergarments, you know, and out of his mind, literally. Uh, and, and John's saying that the father and the mother, they would kind of be busy about their things and, and you know, activities in the home while John's saying and I were sitting there studying the Word of God. And I knew they were listening. Every once in a while, they would pause and just kind of turn their head and, and listen to us, you know. And uh, I'll never forget Never forget us having the opportunity to share with Jom Sang's father. And um, Jom Sang's father was a former monk as well. And so he learned how to read and write in a different language, Shan, but also the Pali script, which is the kind of the holy language uh, in all of Southeast Asia. And he began, um, but he didn't know how to read and write uh, Thai or Palong or anything like that. Jom Sang began teaching him how to read and to write uh, the Palong language. And we gave him a proclaimer with the word of God recorded on it. And every day in the fields, he would put that recorder in his pocket as he was on the side of a mountain working. He would be listening to the word of God all the time. And John saying, continuing to share the gospel with his father over and over and over again. He would sit in on case we would share the gospel with him again. So a teat, he leads, uh, leads us to John Sang. John Sang comes to faith, and he introduces us to his family. And this is what the Bible talks about when it talks about oikos, or the family. Uh, you see multiple families in Scripture coming to faith in Christ, right? You see one person come, they go, they share with their family, the family and the household responds to the gospel. These are the natural uh, spheres of influence that God has entrusted us with, right? And so um, i never forget the day that we were sitting there. I was studying with John Sang, studying the Word of God. And Namnal, John Sang's father, comes in uh, after a day spent in the field. He goes, just as he always did, walks past us, walked into his, his little room there, which was separated by a little sheet hanging down. And, um, and all he did, and I knew at this point enough Palong language to understand a lot, and he just poked his head out of the door. He looked at John Sang, and he goes, I believe. And I was like, you know, I looked at John Sang, I was like, what did he just say? He said, I believe, right? And he said, yeah, he, he said he believes. And we were like, well, he can't come out here, you know, tell him, what do you mean you believe, you know, tell us the story. And he said he was out on the field and he began listening to the word of God over and over and over again. And the word of God so convicted his life. He said that I dropped to my knees in that field and I put my faith in Jesus Christ right there. He came back and he told us that we just, I mean, we were just rejoicing on that little floor uh, inside his house. Wonderful, just feeling of 
of just exhilaration. And uh, John Sang and Atit, the first believers, had the privilege of baptizing uh, his father. And he was equally as excited. Uh, his, his, uh, John Sang, of course, taught him how to read and write. He is one of the most avid readers of God's word. His wife is still illiterate. She never learned how to read and write, never learned, never went to school even. And every night, this man reads to her the scripture. This woman now memorizes those stories and goes out and shares those stories with other people in the village. Uh, astounding, astounding. And so a uh, few months later, um, and this is, this is a great, great picture. Typically, we would have uh, the, the person who won them to faith baptize them. We wanted to pass along the authority. When Jesus gave his authority, we, we were given the authority to do what Jesus did. And so we, want them, we wanted them to do the baptizing. But you could see... Now, this little concrete pylon here, right? Well, Namna, which is his, his uh, this is his wife, uh, she came to faith. Namna led his wife to the Lord after reading to her over and over and over again. Uh, she was very resistant to the gospel, angry that her husband, that her son had come to faith in Jesus. She was like, man, I just forget this stuff. And, uh, and she came to faith eventually as well. Well, Namna, I said, Namna, you baptize your wife. I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a picture and a video and you, you know, you just, you baptize her. Well, he didn't want to get wet that day, apparently. <laughs> and so he stood on that concrete pylon and he was just going to put his hand on her head and just kind of reach down and just kind of do this number, you know? And uh, so he tried that. Well, she slipped and like fell completely over. And uh, so we were all wondering, well, did that count? I mean, I don't know, you know, no, it's not a textbook on baptism, you know? And, uh, and so I got down to the water. I said, well, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how to do it now because he had never baptized anybody before. And so that's the reason why I was baptizing her and hence the reason why she was laughing because she had just fallen down and she didn't know if it counted or not. You know, she's like, well, does, is it good? I mean, is that good? I was like, I don't know. Let's do it again. Come on. Um, but, you know, a beautiful picture of a life transformed with the gospel. And so his, uh, you know, and I, and I don't have time to show you all the pictures, but John Sang led his father to the Lord, his mother to the Lord, his aunt to the Lord, uh, her two daughters to the Lord, her, his grandmother to the Lord. One man, one man just surrendered to a life of obedience to the Great Commission, sharing with them the best news in the world that could change their life. No longer having to make sacrifices to the spirits. No longer having to pay large, exorbitant amounts of money to the local temple because they were forced to, right? Uh, and so they had the hope of Jesus Christ. John Sang's wife, uh, the Bible translator family, had had Noi, his wife, at their place at an early age and began sharing with her the stories of God. And she felt like she believed at that time. She went back to her village, faced intense persecution, and just began reverting back to the Buddhist faith. Uh, she didn't go to the temple or anything like that, but she just became an underground believer. And, um, and so you see the story of how God brings people into lives and weaves this tapestry together to where people believe in Jesus at just the right moment. He uses us. Uh, he uses you to communicate the gospel uh, to, um, to the lost. And so this story shows you a glimpse of one family. Beyond that, it began spreading. Uh, it didn't just stop in their family, and it didn't just stop in their village. There were other people in the village who came to faith. We decided that we wanted to uh, go as Paul did to every place where the gospel was not heard 
And so it was time. We had now had, uh, at this time, probably eight or ten believers who were now being discipled. Uh, they wanted to reach out to other villages and proclaim the gospel to other villages. And so we began um, going to those places where we had natural entry points. Uh, Noi had a friend who was over in another village who had gone to that same hostel that she did a couple hours away uh, and being trained by this, this Bible uh, translator. Well, uh, she, just like Noi, had just kind of blended into her, her society, except she was going to the temple. She was uh, worshiping the idols. Uh, but deep down inside, she had this belief in Jesus as well. We came by, began teaching her again. And uh, at that point, Don rededicated her life to Christ and uh, was willing to face and endure intense persecution as well. One quick story about John saying and his family, it's amazing how God uses circumstances and uh, even in their case, Buddhist people to provide their safety. Um, John Seng was, in a, uh, was called, he and his family were called to a, a village meeting where all the elders of the village were meeting together. And the subject of the meeting was, uh, was whether or not they should kick John Seng and his family out of the village. And John Seng, with great just fear in his heart, knowing that they would lose their land, that was their livelihood, they, they, they would have just destroyed their lives. He just left it. He says, I have a lot of things that I wanted to say, he said, but I, I believe that God wanted me to keep my mouth shut during that meeting. And so we sat there, and as he told and recounted the story of the meeting, because foreigners aren't allowed into the meeting, the village meeting, uh, afterwards, he said, Greg, you'll never believe what happened. He says, when we went into that meeting, he said, people were getting angry and saying the meanest things about our family, and we were just sitting there, but God had told me just to remain silent, and it says, I will defend your cause. And so he was sitting there, and uh, the strangest of things happened. He was getting to a point where he just wanted to speak out and start defending himself and say, hey, listen, I've not done anything but good in this village for this community, and uh, there's no reason why you should kick us out. We've only become better people. You know, that's what he wanted to say. Um, but he remained quiet. And just when they were getting ready and they were making a defense of, uh, and reasons as to why John Singh and his family should be kicked out of the village, a Buddhist man in the back who was well-respected in the village stood up and of course, you got to remember that this is a Plong people who had come out of Myanmar and were allowed to live in the country of Thailand, right, by the king. He extended them fields and places to live. And so the Buddhist man stood up and he goes, he goes, I, I just don't understand this. He said, here we are, a people who have immigrated into Thailand. And he said, the king has offered us lands and places to live, and he accepted us just as we were. He says, why is it any different in our village? Why can't we allow Christians to coexist or live together with Palong and we all live the same? And he sat down and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, why is that, you know? And John Sang said that the mood and the, the change that happened in uh, that room was just amazing. And the, the guy who was the major uh, adversary against John Sang and his family was just silenced. And they walked out of that meeting, John Singh and his family being allowed to live in the village. Later, get this, they actually elected Namna to be the village headsman. Now, isn't that just God's, God's sense of humor, right? So they elected a Christian to be the village headsman, which is the first time in history that I know of that any Christian has ever been a village headsman. Uh, and he is still, to this day, the village headsman. Still with a little bit of, of, uh, of, of resistance in the village, but nonetheless, God is using him uh, to change that community. And so they went outside the village, began sharing with another family in this village that was, that was very, very resistant. Not one believer living in the village, but this one girl who was living just an, a, a, a 
a very weak faith in the village, remaining silent and, and reverting back to the Buddhist practices. Uh, she was there, and so we went to her house. Of course, she was open to it. She had experienced, she had heard it before, and she rededicated her life and, uh, and was never baptized. And so we were, had the joy and the privilege of baptizing Don. And Don, uh, from that moment on, became one of the most courageous and bold Christians I have ever met in my life. Her parents beat her, uh, and every Sunday, not every Sunday, but the majority of the Sunday, she would come in with bruises, uh, sometimes swollen eyes because her dad, and she was the most joy-filled Christian and never missed. She would come out of her village, go to the next village in order to worship together with the believers that were now gathering in John Sang's home. And we had the privilege of meeting with her week after week after week. Well, Don was living a life for the Lord, and her husband stood up and took notice. His wife was different. Uh, she was courageous. She was bold, even in spite of how her parents and the villagers treated her. And, well, you guessed it, uh, her, her husband now became a believer as well, and, uh, and his name was Atan. Well, Atan and Don, um, the week before we left, were kicked out of their parents' house. Again, were living in a one, probably four-by-four four, uh, room uh, in somebody else's house because they let them live there outside of the village. And a sad situation, and we were just weeping together with them, but they knew that they were doing it for the sake of the gospel, uh, that they were standing firm in their faith. And it was exciting to see that, our hearts broken, and uh, with intentions of going back and maybe building her a house outside of the village. Uh, we had got a call about a month later that said their mom and dad just couldn't do all the work, so they invited them back into the house. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we were rejoicing, though, you know. Um, their mom and dad were getting old, you know, and realized, hey, that's a, they did a lot of work that we didn't realize, you know. But praise God uh, that they now are still lights inside the village, still being bold, still being courageous. And I want you to hear Don's testimony. Uh, and this is a picture of her village there. When they closed their eyes and prayed, who were they talking to? I was laughing on the inside. After a while, I began to understand more and more about the story of God they taught me each day. I cried out to God to help me understand this story more. The teacher asked if I believed in Jesus, and I said, yes, I believe. I invited Jesus into my heart and began studying more about the story of God. I was persecuted in my village. The village leaders are afraid that more and more will come to faith. Some of my neighbors say to me, do you really believe in Jesus? There's no one who would be willing to die for us. They don't believe. They don't understand. I pray for them. I don't retaliate against them. I want to tell you just a bit about what I hope happens in the future. Right now, I'm praying that in our village, our house will be a house that not only worships God, but shares His story as well. 
I pray that my son and I can serve the Lord by sharing God's story with my family and the other villagers. I want them to pray to the one true God, and I long for my family to open their hearts and believe in Him. I don't want them to be confused, but for God to open their hearts and be with us. Ooh, every time I see that story, boy, I tell you, Don is a powerful testimony of just how God can uh, give you strength in the midst of very adverse circumstances. And uh, she now has two children that God has blessed her with, and both of which are boys. As a matter of fact, John Sang, uh, the other Palong man who is now the pastor of the church in his house, we ordained him shortly before we left and had been teaching for about a year now. Uh, God continues to work in their family, continue to reaching out to the villages around them. Now it has it spread. Um, one, one last story, and then I'll let you go. It's past 12. But uh, so the, the last amazing story. Now there's, I can go story after story after story of how God just transformed lives. Uh, but Namna's brother, uh, who lived about three and a half hours north of where they lived, had just come across the border working in some fields, a uh, rubber plantation, actually, that belonged to the king of Thailand. And um, as he was living there, he and his wife were traveling to their fields on one occasion and had a head-on collision uh, riding motorcycles with a, another man. And uh, the wife was flung off the motorcycle, which was Jom Sang's aunt, and um, flung off the motorcycle and uh, injured her head uh, drastically. She was in a coma, and uh, the, the brother, Namnal's brother, called and said, listen, I've been to the spirit priests, I've made sacrifices, I've been to the temple and have made merit, and nobody can help my wife, but I've heard that you worship the creator God. If your creator God can heal my wife, I will believe. Now, I've heard this before, folks, be quite frank with you, and God has miraculously delivered, and they had gone back to their, their faith and their, their traditional religion. So I was skeptical, uh, to be honest with you. But uh, Namna said, listen, we need to go and we need to pray. She's now at the hospital down in Chiang Mai. And so we gathered up all the believers. They got in the back of our truck. We drove down to Chiang Mai, which was two hours south of where we were. And, uh, and we gathered around. I'll never forget. We gathered around the hospital bed. And uh, my wife was standing right next to me, Sarah. And, um, and Sarah began praying. And she just put her hand on, on um, uh, Sang's aunt. And her name is Bangun, and began praying for Bangun and saying, God, when you heal Bangun, I can just remember praying, her praying in faith. When you heal Bangun, let the doctors come back and say that it was a miracle and that it can only be attributed to God or, a, in, their, in their understanding, a supernatural power. And uh, it was two weeks later, still in a coma, not, I mean, no response whatsoever, given no hope by the doctors. Two weeks later, the doctor calls Namna, Jam Singh's father. And says, you will not believe this. But today, Bangun woke up and she has complete memory. And nothing, we can't find anything wrong with her. Listen, the next, the next day, the doctors released her from the hospital. Uh, she had gone back up to her village. And I said, Jom Sang, I said, we need to go. We need to go to her village and we need to proclaim to her again that it was our great God who healed her. 
And so we gathered up all the believers again, and we went up to their village, and, uh, and we started sharing with them story after story in the book of Mark. Mark especially portrays God as the great, uh, just in supernatural power, power over death, power over disease, power over uh, everything. And so began sharing with them story after story. We got about through the second story, and it was like, listen, you don't have to tell us any more stories. We want to believe. And you know that they believe when they begin cutting off their spiritual uh, bracelets and things that are on them that have spiritual significance and just laying them down on the floor. It was a beautiful picture. I'd never seen such a beautiful picture in my life of just a pile of white threads, which they use to protect them from the spirits, laying on the ground taking them off of their motorcycles, taking them off everything, and saying, we want to follow Jesus. And sure enough, John saying, and his uh, father had the privilege of baptizing uh, his uncle and his aunt who became believers in Jesus Christ and, uh, and are now just living for the Lord uh, in their village. And so story after story of God's faithfulness and God's power at work. And listen, when Jesus, when Jesus arrived on the scene in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said that he was given authority, right? And it, he, t- he tells us in Luke chapter 4 uh, to, to heal the disease, to cast out um, the demons. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you know that when he sent out the disciples, he sent them out and he gave them two things, power and authority to do the exact same things that Jesus himself was doing. And do you know that Jesus has given us those two exact same things? In the Great Commission and in the Ascension, he's given us the power and he's given us the authority. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says what? All authority has been given to me. Now listen to this. I'm giving it to you. You go and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And listen, here's the promise. I'm with you always to the end of the world. So with the commission, Jesus has given his disciples and therefore us as well, the authority to do everything that Jesus did himself while he was on earth. But he's also given us the power to do it. And listen, it's great for us preachers to preach about going, but you know the last thing that Jesus told his disciples to do was not go. It was wait. Don't go anywhere without the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit descended and came into the lives of the disciples, they, gave, they were given at that moment the power to do everything that Jesus himself did. And John would say even greater things. These stories are testimonies of the power of God at work. And there's, you guys are living testimonies of the power of God at work in your life. You didn't grow up on the side of a mountain. You didn't grow up in a, a military conflicted area, right? Or spiritual uh, Buddhism or animism. Maybe some of you, I'm not saying none of you, but uh, for the most part, we grew up here. And sometimes it's even a greater challenge to look past all of this stuff and to appreciate the gift of God that's been given to us. And he's commissioned us. He's given you the authority and he's given you the power to do the exact same things that Jesus else did. And I pray that when you leave these doors, when you leave this church, you'd realize that you're entering in a mission field, right? And that it would begin right now with you here making disciples of all nations 
And that if God calls you to go to the ends of the earth, that you'd not only be willing to go, but you'd be willing to go with great joy and sacrifice and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. You are really good. And Father God, when we see stories and hear stories like this, Lord, we can only attribute it to, the, to your power and your authority, God. God, we did nothing on our own, Father God. We only want to do what we see you doing, just as Jesus said. Father, you are at work all around us. God, help us join you in that work. We pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Empower these people, Lord, to do your work, God. Fill us with your spirit, God. God, help us not to portray a living and an active and a powerful God in such a weak way. God, help us to live lives that reflect the power and the authority, Lord, that you have. God, just through words, Lord, through our actions, God, may we honor you and give you glory so that you may be exalted among the nations, beginning here at Hoffmantown, Lord, and extending to the uttermost parts of the earth. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of our family for letting us come and spend time with you. I love you guys. You guys go and be blessed.